0: I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is Justin Fennett, the Editor-in-Chief at High Omaha and Strategist at District Studio. Joining me physically distanced by Zoom today. Justin Fennett is a marketing and content strategist with a passion for building communities and telling stories. His days are split between High Omaha and District Studio. High Omaha is a local print and digital publication. District Studio is a brand consultancy specializing in marketing and content strategy, digital and print campaigns, and content creation, working with clients around the country. After spending four years in Chicago, Justin and his wife, Callie, now live in a little yellow house in Omaha with their two kids, Aiden and Addie. Justin, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Stuart.
0: Let's start with High Omaha, and if you wouldn't mind just telling us what that is.
1: Yeah, uh, High Omaha is a print and digital publication, uh, driven to strengthen our communities through the stories that we tell. It got its start actually while um, I was in Chicago. Well, my family and I were living in Chicago two uh, two years ago, and. The idea came while I was working at a architecture firm in downtown Chicago, one of the largest in the world. And I was working in their marketing department as a coordinator and got to be a fly on the wall on some of their largest meetings around pursuits for uh, planning and urban design. So city planning, um, they would go after jobs in Houston, Chicago, L.A., um, and, and smaller markets as well. And like I said, I got to sit next to some of these, you know, m- our world's most talented designers and got to see the, the value that city planning has and uh, how it can really impact the way that we connect and that we, um, the, it really determines who we connect with and how we connect with them. And uh, as we were looking to come back to Omaha after after our stay there, I started learning about things like redlining and so redlining um, happened all over the country in the early 1900s and had impacted Omaha up until well, it still impacts our city um, but the the lines themselves uh, weren 't removed until the 1970s and so it was these these stories of city planning that um, you know started out of uh, some really bad bad places and bad strategies. And um, these stories weren't being told. We, we never learned about them growing up. We, we never heard about them in the news. It takes wonderful organizations like the Union for Contemporary Arts to get the word out. And um, those were the, the stories that really sparked this idea for High Omaha, uh, a media outlet, essentially, that would would cover parts of the city that weren't often covered. It would cover stories that weren't often talked about. And yeah, we wanted to do them in different ways. We, we value uh, good quality storytelling, good quality content. And so we, we launched uh, with our first publication last year, uh, last April, and that was our goal. Our goal was to tell these stories in print. And that was the, the end product so to say.
0: Why print? You've chosen a format for this product that is in the marketplace as we know it now, a challenge. Print media is challenged. So what is the rationale for this particular uh, format and medium?
1: Well, I, I spend most of my days in digital marketing it's a format, digital is a format that I've come to love. Uh, it's an easy way to connect with people. It's an easy way to get to know people around the world. Um, it's, a, it's a really easy way to share, share stories, but it's also a really, really clouded medium. Print has this really, print, if done well, and if designed well, has a really good opportunity in a good way in standing out and kind of raising above the clouds of the digital side. And if it's done well, it's actually something that can be shared digitally and online and in social. And so um, I grew up always wanting to have my photos printed. I grew up always wanting to to publish uh, my work and it got to the point where no one would do it. So I guess I was like, well, let me, uh, let's just try and figure this out on my own. And so that's kind of where uh, the passion for print comes from is just this really beautiful format uh, for communicating stories that can last and it has uh, more of a shelf life than digital and, and social does. One of our goals as a media outlet is not only to strengthen our community, but to connect Omaha with other cities around the country and with people around the country to show really what's going on in our city is is actually pretty amazing but people just seem to drive through it on their way to Chicago or on their way to Colorado and they don't they don't stop and so it has that's that's one of the reasons we value print is that it has this ability to kind of stand out and and ironically for our first issue we ended up sending roughly 35 percent of our our online orders out of state. And it goes to show that there is a lot of uh, amazing nonprofits, amazing creatives, and people here um, doing work that should be recognized nationally.
0: You're suggesting that a couple of the reasons or the motivators behind this and and what you're trying to achieve with High Omaha, one aspiration is to share the stories of um, the community, but to share them in a way that reaches beyond the geographical boundaries of, of the city. I'm also getting a sense, uh, another aspiration is, is for you yourself to manifest a sense of pride in place. But rather than put words in your mouth, what are the grander aspirations that you see for high Omaha?
1: I, I'm happy if you put words in my mouth, but, that, but I can uh, um, elaborate a little bit. So I grew up in Minneapolis, a very prideful city in a very prideful state. Um, that many people actually know that I have the state tattooed on my back. And so, uh, you know, I went to school at Lincoln. So had a, a lot of pride there as well. And, and going to Chicago, and then coming, coming back to live closer to family. It was almost uh, a way for me to really dive into the community and a way for me to to dive into the city that I had actually been traveling back and forth to growing up, I have family in Papillion, and had been coming to Omaha a few times a year ever since I was a a baby. And it might even have been this this way for me to really dive in. Um, but then it was also it also came from these conversations with a number of people that there just wasn't this sense of togetherness. Uh, with the city, and, and yes, in, in micro levels, I think there are. But the way that this city was planned and laid out, it's very siloed in ways and uh, very spread out. And you know, you can you can pick the church that you want to go to within a 15 mile radius. You can live in Elkhorn and commute downtown in 25 30 minutes. And so there's there's this sense of being diluted or, or being spread out, I guess what High Omaha, uh, you know, at the core of it is is to bring those, those pieces together and to uh, raise awareness around what's going on and, and the amazing things that are going on that people n- have never heard of, organizations that people have not heard of, and to just really provide that connection. And here, it's um, this idea that you can essentially pick the people that you want to see and the people that you want to interact with and communicate um, down to the neighborhood that you live in, down to the area that you work in, down to the area that you go to the grocery store or the restaurant in. And there was just not this forced togetherness, this, this forced community that I saw a lot of value in in Chicago. And I think that is that is really at the at the heart of what we're trying to do with the stories that we share uh, through High Omaha.
0: What have you learned? A couple of ways to ask this, I guess. One's a sort of practical question about what you've learned in terms of being the businessman behind producing this thing. But then also what surprised you? And what have you learned about the city and its stories?
1: One thing that I've learned practically is that uh, the city overall just doesn't have a whole, they don't have a lot of great outlets to learn and grow in creating content that truly does connect outside of our city and at a national level. And there's just not that base here. There's not that ability and there's not that infrastructure to give the stories that we have to tell as a community justice. And so um, that's actually something that we're starting to work on, hopefully in the next month or so, is uh, we'll be partnering with a fairly new podcast studio called figure podcasts and um, to help bring some of those stories to a different channel, but also as a playground for audio development and things like that. Um, and then the thing that I've learned maybe on a city level or as a, as we have like unpacked some of these stories is that people in different parts of the city are more open than I thought they would be to learning about other areas that they don't live in. Um, I, I was kind of taken back by that and had very much expected this kind of wall to go up against um, these areas that they don't work in, that they don't eat in, that they don't travel through or, or, or you know, drive through. Um, but there was very much this acceptance and this uh, curiosity, but behind a lot of the stories that were coming from our publications and and things that we were producing.
0: You mentioned the contributors and the content producers. How do you go about not only trying to source the kind of stories about the community that you're trying to spread broadly across the country? I also have this sense from you that you are actively engaging creative minds and talents from across this community to be a part of the creation of this high Omaha product. How do you get those people involved and how do you go about the process of surfacing these, the, the ideas for the content?
1: It's a, a little bit of word of mouth in terms of finding contributors. Um, we have a, a few really talented creatives on the team. Kimberly Dovey uh, is a photographer Rachel Kane, uh, Jeff Collins um, are all really talented contributors that we've we've been able to work with on a on a closer level. And a lot of the times, it's people that that our team knows. It's people that we have grown to know through social media. It's you know, largely looking through their portfolios. It's it's a lot more groundwork and, and heavy work than maybe many people might think. We'll post, you know, every few months, maybe twice a year, just to see if people are interested in contributing. And uh, and this was actually when we were producing our publication, and so that was something that had a longer lead time, something that we could pull together a, a team of contributors in a little bit more of a an efficient manner. And so now, as we shift a little bit to the digital side, we're going to look to. Build out a little bit of that same same model and build out a, a team of writers and photographers that we can start to work with on a more consistent basis. And, and these are people that I would love to see not necessarily be full-time writers. You know, I would love to see them be architects, um, designers, chefs, musicians, artists, things like that 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 are in the industry that are in that community that have that point of view that no one else really has. It's easy to bring a writer into a room and have them write about a different topic, but it's very much a different thing to ask that person to write about their experiences. Um, We actually had Bryce Colton, who's a partner at the French Bulldog in Dundee. And he, he wrote about his experience in the food industry, and it was one of the most transparent and well-thought-out pieces and one of the pieces that resonated most, at least with me, because it was very much this point of view of being on the front line. And so, so yeah, at least long-term, we're, we're looking to work with a smaller group of contributors to you know, source content from, but also be able to send story ideas to them um, maybe that goes to the other part of your question about content, and it's uh, it's hard. It's we we take submissions, we take um, ideas from the community, but we're also coming to the community with ideas and to our contributors with ideas on what we would want to share and create. And so, it's a bit of a back and forth when we are working on the print publication. Our team got together, and we just whiteboarded it out and um, you know as a group decided what we wanted to to publish a lot of what goes into it is our goal is to tell stories from at least three different parts of our city, and so to to really spread it out and to be intentional about where our content comes from um, and that was when we were producing the the publication the biannual publication so it was a little bit more of a long lead time and but that that goal will still be in place as we flip a little bit to the digital side
0: I don't think there's advertising in high Omaha. Earlier, we touched on that print media is a, an incredibly difficult market uh, just to sustain it. And so, what is the business model that makes this something that um, you know has has not only traction because people are interested in it, but it can be sustained in a in a marketplace?
1: So we just started working on the advertising side, um, and it. It was something that we started without the interest of getting into advertising, to be honest. We I started this as, as something that I knew I wanted to do and that I thought needed to be done for the city. And and it really centered on good quality content. And you know, to kickstart it was personally funded just to get it up off the ground. And then as I realized I might not have a bed to, to sleep in at night. <laughs> if I continued in that, in that direction, I had to quickly figure out how to make it sustainable. And so, yeah, we um, are just started working with uh, Verizon media actually, and and one of their employee resource groups called United. And we worked with them in issue two, to do a couple print spreads. And so that's been our first kind of step into the advertising side. We've got a few other projects coming up that were, Kind of walking down and, and are hoping to get live here soon, but um, it 's very much you know content first platform um, and advertising second and even as we get into the advertising side, we want the advertisements that we do to be story driven we want them to be with brands that that have a very similar mission as we do and are invested in the community and and really care about the stories that are told from the community. It's gonna be advertising that sustains much of what we do. And it's gonna be a little bit on the product side as well. Something that we're starting to, to dive into is, is to get some more uh, merchandise up on the shop and uh, things like that. But it's first and foremost, we're you know focused on the stories that we're telling.
0: You've mentioned High Omaha and its uh, genesis as a print publication, but also there's this digital exposure as well. But you also have another initiative connected to it and it's referenced as a tabloid. But I wonder if you wouldn't mind explaining what that is and, and why, what's its intention?
1: As the pandemic started closing our community down and impacting some of our ad partners and, and things like that, we um, I, I wanted to say quickly pivoted, but we did not quickly pivot. <laughs> it took me a, a couple of weeks to to really figure out where High Omaha's place was in the community as these stories started punching us in the face and uh, so this this serial we 're calling it a serial tabloid, and we have no idea when it'll end and it came from the spot of wanting to Uh, One, continue some type of print piece, some type of tangible, uh, well-designed print piece. But two, covering our our newfound schedules at home and how that has impacted our our lives. And that's really where it came from, where it'll be a a bit of a bi-monthly serial tabloid. Part of the content is going to be from a home series that we started where we're sending out black and white film digital, or not digital, disposable film cameras. And we've sent roughly 14 out already. Um, and our our mission there was to really document this, this time, this pandemic um, and our time at home and how it's impacted our lives. My first goal in that project is to use those down the line whenever it feels right to publish a book. And so the end goal with these cameras are... Are to end up in a, a printed book piece. Um, but for the time being, I, we also felt that it was important to get something out, you know, some type of highlight out. And so the serial tabloid, is, the serial aspect of it is, is uh, you know, journeying alongside this home series with these disposable cameras that we're handing out. And then the other aspect is content that we felt like, and actually that people told us that they would wanna see whether it's bring encouragement or bring you know a little bit of a break in their day um so it's this evergreen style content we have movie reviews in there um a few stories of good news from the community organizations that are are doing really good things um a recipe in there so if you're sick of cooking or making grilled cheese then we've got um from archetype actually threw in a recipe in there and so yeah, it's uh, it's something that we wanted as an outlet to share some of those stories, and we'll kind of see where where it goes um, and how long it lasts. But it's uh, yeah, it, it was just meant to to really be a current touchpoint on the stories from that home series.
0: You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break.
2: It's all the same. Some things have changed. I couldn't stop and say, you know. It's all the same. you won't take blame. Even when you are blowing up. Oh, my. Oh. You're my broken love. Nobody's gonna save even now. Oh my, oh my. You're my broken love. So come on, let me show you how.
0: Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives. My guest today is Justin Fennett, the Editor-in-Chief at High Omaha and Strategist at District Studio. Our conversation is being recorded by Zoom. So so let's turn to um, District Studio. Let me ask... Um, all the important questions: the 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 why, the when, the who, the what, the where.
1: So, District Studio started in 2014 uh, with a partner of mine, Jane Smith, actually, and we we started it to really service clients on the marketing side and on the content side, and a lot of it came from uh, my passion for community building within the brand space and within the marketing space. And I actually have a really wonky journey into marketing. I I've went into undergrad for nutrition and exercise, um, thought I wanted to be an athletic trainer, found out quickly. I didn't like blood. And so that, that turned me off from that occupation Uh, turned into strength and conditioning and ended up getting my master's in exercise science at UNO. And that was just before we moved out to, home, or out to uh, Chicago. And um, it was really during those times that I found my passion for content and photography and realizing that there's a lot of brands out there that are really awful at storytelling and communicating. And then at the same time, could care less about their customer after they receive a transaction. They don't know who they are a, a prime example of that is any film lab um or many i should say many film labs there there's just this kind of or one-way transaction one-way relationship there's not really the sense of knowing the person behind the brand and there's not really on the brand side not really this this care to know their customers as long as they're still bringing film in Um, to get developed, and I hope that doesn't get me in trouble locally. But it's the sense of truly bringing this passion for truly caring for the end user. And so District Studio actually started it how I never planned it to start. And um, as we were coming back from Chicago, as we were moving back to Omaha from Chicago, I put together my portfolio, fully intent on finding a safe job, Uh, finding a nine to five and something with benefits. And as I started handing that portfolio out, it became fairly clear that I needed to start something on my own because there just wasn't that role, even internally at at large companies that could fit, you know, the passion that I had for marketing, um, community building within the marketing space and a focus on content. We started that in 2018. My partner ended up moving to uh, Paris to be closer to her fiance. Um, And so, yeah, so she ended up moving and and is now running her own consulting business. And uh, we currently work with a a few local companies and uh, a couple national brands. And um, it it was built out of this place of telling better stories for for brands and, and helping them build relationships on a a deeper level with their customers.
0: I don't know if you intended to be an entrepreneur. It's absolutely abundantly clear that that is what you are, of course. But did that somewhat stealthily creep up on you? And you found that it was just obvious that you had to be an entrepreneur if you were going to do what you wanted to do? Or, Or was this a plan all along? Or did you have to dig deep and find the courage to say, I am going to go all in on this risky adventure of my own thing?
1: That's a, that's a phenomenal question. I think it's a little bit of both. As I was growing up, I watched my dad run his own business. And he was a tile contractor for 30, 40 years. He had done it ever since he was 18. And so I grew up watching him run his, his own business. I grew up watching him put his work aside to uh to come to my sporting events and to come to activities as i was growing up and so i, I got to see this freedom that he had and i don't know if i'd call it freedom now that i'm <laughs> running my own business but it's it's this really hard balance but i got to see he he made you know very hard choices to to, to run his own, you know, often at times unstable company. And he even had to pivot along the way, but I got to see what, what joy that brought him and entering college. Uh, I, you know, as anyone in the early two thousands were told, you got to go to college to, to make a living and you've, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. So I, I thought I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, you know and even even as I got out of that, I thought I wanted to go into marketing and you know the bug was set when I was growing up, but i don't think I really realized how much I wanted it until I worked um, for that shoe company in chicago and and they were a startup and so I was their twentieth employee. They ballooned to over forty employees within I think six months after a round or two of fundraising, and then pretty drastically crashed uh, after <laughs> after they ballooned. And I was part of the first round of layoffs. And I still remember it to this day, our, our son, who's four today, he was one month at the time when I got let go. And even going through that trial of sorts, it kind of laid, laid the groundwork for what I would experience Going forward and and so I think it was really after that that I realized that I could do something on my own. before that, I had no idea uh, if I could sustain something and so I think it was really it was really through that experience uh, and I always talk about it and I think about it in this kind of two chapter sense the The shoe company being the first chapter where I, I got to learn a lot about the startup world, a lot about marketing. I feel so bad for my old boss there. She's, she was our VP of marketing, uh, came from Gatorade and PepsiCo and had to deal with a 26-year-old who had zero marketing experience. And But she had a master's in it and a, t- a ton of amazing experience. And so I got to learn from her what it meant to really be a marketer, and, and what it meant to really bring products to market, and to analyze and to research, and and so that was the first chapter. The second chapter was really at the architecture firm where I got to learn more of the the business side of it, and uh, what it meant to run business development, and what it meant to to run sales and client relationships and things like that. And so um, it was it was really those two things that. Laid the groundwork, and then a lot of forgiveness and, yeah, hope from my wife in uh, in starting it. So, um, it's yeah, it kind of goes goes deep. And uh, but there's a lot that um, had to happen for me to even, and a lot of amazing, amazing people that have had to deal with me along the way to, to get me to this point. So
2: a cold wild winter you were sleeping on my shoulder I was praying that the raging storm would stay a little longer with your feet up on the dashboard of my son.
1: dyslexic at times so that that hurts me uh on the on the back end but
0: are you, are you is that serious is that a serious comment that you that, that i have that is a-
1: I have not been diagnosed but i believe i am i i have a pretty bad reading ability which is i i shouldn't even be admitting that as uh a, a runner of high omaha or the the lead of high omaha but um it's it's something that i dealt with growing up yeah is um, reading classes, uh, and, and still this, um, sense of, uh, um, attainability or not attainability, attention and, um, attaining, you know, retaining, uh, content and things like that. And so, um, so yeah, I, but I've also been someone who, who hates diagnoses too. I, so (laughs) it, it could be, you know, I I feel like I've I've got and I and I, I in no way want to, you know, put that on the level of, of people who have been diagnosed. If I if I do not have it, but um, yeah, I've also been scared of the diagnosis world as well. So that kind of has has kept me away from it.
0: I've often thought that uh, entrepreneurs themselves cut against the grain in some ways, and that could be countercultural or just defying norms or whatever that happens to be. And as you say, without diminishing anybody else's life experiences or, or even trying to evaluate one and compare one to another, it feels as if it, it doesn't surprise me at all that you might self-regard or be self-aware of some sense that there were or are impediments, but nonetheless you're, you're shaping the world in the way you, you want it to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, and it might come from my childhood too. You know, I've, my, my dad battled cancer before I was born and, um, and vividly remember him just celebrating the months that he had to live after and celebrating the wins and not dwelling on the bad, not dwelling on the the things that could hold us back, but um, really focusing on the good and focusing on uh, what could be, and so yeah, I think that's really what what I try and focus on. Man, I've I would like to be the first to tell you how many things that I I could get be better at. Um, yeah, it's something that um, I work on or I try and work on a lot. And uh, but yeah, there's there's just too few hours in a day and too few days in the, in our life to to really worry about the stuff that could hold us back.
0: You've mentioned your family uh, a lot, and I feel like that really has. Um, I'm getting the sense it's informed and shaped you. And of course, it's a trite statement. Of course, those contexts shape us, but, but you've referenced it a lot through our conversation. And so I, I feel like I want to ask you to describe your childhood and your upbringing, uh, maybe give some more flesh to what you've been talking about. So what was your childhood like?
1: Yeah, I grew up a mile from the Mall of America, uh just outside of Minneapolis. Um my like I said my dad was a tile contractor, ran his own company, my mom still is in the healthcare world and if she ever listened to this, she should have retired a few years ago and she's still still working. Um but I get that. I get the the feeling to continue and uh yeah, I grew up very quiet, very I was still am introverted, uh, still love to recover at home. Grew up watching my parents and their amazing relationship, just the way that they both treated life and that they both valued life and that they both um, loved to get out. And so my dad was a marathon runner. Um, Some of the the major memories that I have are with my dad and mom at uh, a local homeless shelter. And so after my dad's first round of can or yeah first round of cancer, it was before I was born, so I don't know what he was like before. But from what I I know, it it definitely shaped his life, and he very quickly turned to the community and to turn to to giving back. And there there are stories that I don't remember that that I remember hearing from my mom about um, my dad giving people pans out of our kitchen if they needed it, it literally like giving the shirt off his back. So that's, that's the, those are the kind of parents that I grew up watching and um, you know, very intentionally caring for the people around them and the people and people who um, were in pretty rough situations. Yeah. So that, that I would say very much shaped kind of who I am and, and, how I how I see community, and I I hope I could be yeah one tenth of of the the dad my dad was so. To you? It's a hard question because that word gets thrown around so much. And even as I got into marketing, I, I remember telling a couple of people, I was like, yeah, I'll, all I want to do is help build community around brands. And I, I remember this, this guy telling me, yeah, that's marketing. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, marketing is a, a, a bad word. I, I That's not what I want to do. I want to build community around brands. And so to this day, many brands use that word uh, "community" pretty lightly, and uh, they throw it around because everyone else is doing it. And so, yeah, for me, even on just a personal level, community is really about the people that are in your day-to-day lives—that are that are your next-door neighbors, the pe- your family, your your close friends, the people that that you don't follow on social media um, necessarily. And the people that you have those tight, tight bonds with, or are not necessarily tight, but just those frequent interactions. And I think our culture is pretty bad at at taking care of our communities. Um, That's where a lot of, I guess, my my passion for it comes from. And it's kind of funny too, because I, I am an introvert. Much of my community work happens through social media. And so, as much as I toot my horn about community development um, a lot of it happens digitally and a lot of it happens through social and um, but then also and and some things that we try and work on at High Omaha and even with our clients at District Studios how do you take those relationships that you've built online and how do you take them deeper how do you take them in person maybe maybe not today's world but Um, you know how do you create events for brands that that help connect their customer bases in different ways Um, how do you create events or or series or or panels or things that bring creatives together um, or, or whatever community that looks like but but just trying to find unique ways to to bring people together and so I even think about like our church in Chicago versus our the, the overall church in Omaha church in Chicago the congregation was very, uh, 75%, I would say lived within a mile of the building. So you saw people at the restaurant, you saw people at the grocery store, at the park, at school. And it was that Monday through Sunday kind of relationship. And locally, um, or in a, a city that is very spread out where I could drive to Elkhorn to go to church if I wanted those relationships are dilute. They're, they're not to me, not as strong as when we are quote unquote in community, maybe together on a, on a day to day basis. And so, so yeah, I, I both love and I both dislike the way the word community is, is thrown around today's world.
0: Let me ask you then an unfair, in some ways, uh, closing question. So we are in a pandemic and um, you and I are at this moment physically distant because we need to be, uh, and, um, but we have the, the privilege of using this you know, online medium to be able to connect. So we have this connectivity, but that is not necessarily the same as we might think of when it comes to the ingredients that form a powerful human sense of belonging if we take that word community and maybe extend that into the um, story you were sharing and, and and maybe convert that word into communion with a congregation of people. And so here we are physically distant in a, a time where everybody's physically distant. And I, I'm, I'm wondering, what do you see in the months or maybe the years ahead in terms of the impact on community, maybe at a local level or your own personal community? And do you have any prescriptions for us to make sure that we come out of it perhaps with the kind of community that you yourself are spending this time and energy trying to create through High Omaha, um, the serial tabloid district studio?
1: I think at least over the next six to 12 months, hopefully even longer, I have this feeling that it's, we're going to be a lot more intentional just with the, the way that we um, connect and the the people that we connect with and how we connect with them, the things that we worried about before we may not worry about after. And uh, I actually think about Angie Norman, uh, who we just did a story on with this home series who helped launch here in Nebraska and her husband, Andrew, runs Rabble Mill. Um, In our interview, we were talking about this this idea of hosting people and um, having people at home and i or she she talked about this point of before this whole thing happened, she was very worried or, or maybe um, had had some anxiety in having people over and in and, and how her home uh, was would portray her or her family or um, or just in how it was organized or how clean it was and she said after this whole thing it's it's taken away even the thought of caring about the objects in our lives and caring more about the people in our lives in our relationships with them and that i think that is a prime example of what we'll continue to see and um and i love it for that you know i obviously do not like the impact that it can have on our health and, and on our community at large and job markets and, and people have lost their their jobs. But there is that silver lining in it where I feel like it'll, it'll bring us closer together and hopefully in a more real sense um, and hopefully in a, in a longer sense as well and, and that it sticks around and that it's, it's something that we, we don't revert back to.
0: I've been in conversation today with Justin Fennett, the Editor-in-Chief at High Omaha and strategist at District Studio. Justin, thank you for joining us on the show today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That's the end of this week's show. Our sound engineers are Mark McGaw and Dalimar McTizic. I'm your host and producer, Stuart Chittenden. Live's Radio Show is an executive production of Squish Talks. Find links to podcasts of this and previous shows via our Instagram and Facebook profiles at Live's Radio Show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life.